Welcome back. You're listening to another edition of the Bow Rush Podcast. This is episode 006. I'm your host, Travis Stowe, and with me is Scott Nelson. How you doing, Scott? Hey, not bad, bud. How you been? Man, I'm doing great. The weather's starting to come down, getting cooler. The rut's kicking in. It, I'm excited. How about you? Uh, I am too bad. You know, it's it's definitely been a little bit different being being back out in Georgia and, and hunting out here. Uh, you know, luckily we, we were fortunate enough. We, we both got in the woods a little bit last uh, last weekend. Uh, I got back in the woods. So I was out there all day today, and it's just trying to get get it figured out and figure out where these uh, where the does are and where the bucks are, are following them at. And so, so far this season, you and I both basically we've been hunting the WMAs, haven't we? Yeah, you know, and and I really enjoy it. Honestly, hunting the WMAs, there's, and there's one specifically that I've I've really started to focus on now. Um, it's, it's an archery only WMA. It's, uh, I, I haven't seen another person walking in the woods, uh, that since I've been there so far, I've seen some trucks there, but haven't seen anyone. It's been a lot of fun so far. I think the idea when we first were thinking about going to a WMA, um, it, the idea of just cutting out the, uh, property, knowing that you're now just taking a chance wherever you go, you really don't have the opportunity to scout unless you've been there before. It's like you're playing roulette with hunting, but that also brings that some of the excitement because it's something new, something fresh. It, it is. And, you know, I it, honestly, one of the biggest kind of thrill factors for me is, you know, this specific WMA. Um, I've got a couple of their buddies who've hunted it. Um, and there's some guys that have hunted it consistently over the past five to six years who they've taken, taken game animals, but it said it takes a little bit of time to kind of figure them out. I mean, I'm already finding great great sign i'm seeing animals i unfortunately totally botched a shot today and and missed a doe that i i, I had on the table ready ready to eat but i missed the shot that is the thrill for me the fact that i'm able to already get into some of these deer that i've had guys telling me that it's going to take a little while so that's kind of how i'm aiming this season is i want to find those those hard to find animals that people say i'm not gonna be able to kill and i get out there and i and, and i go kill them Oh, that's, that's totally cool. You, you got a new property, don't you? Oh, actually, it was something I hunted a while back. And uh, it was a guy that gave me access to his uh, property. So it's not the WMA, but last two years, he gave the property to his uh, son-in-law because he's getting into archery. But this year just so happens that he isn't or isn't going to be hunting that much. And I happened to call him up, and he was more than happy. He said, hey, why don't you come out and... Uh, give it a try it again. So I want to go out there tomorrow and see what happens. That's awesome, man. As I recall, there's been some uh, very large bucks taken out of taken out of that specific area in the last what, three or four years. Oh, uh, well, actually, it was about seven years ago. It was the biggest buck in the county. And I think it was, I forget the actual score. In fact, you sent me the picture and um can't remember the spread i don't remember exactly the numbers but it was huge but that was the record in that county and then when i hunted it last it was late in the evening the sun was starting to come down i didn't feel comfortable shooting past 30 40 yards and it just happened to be that he was about 65 i think it was further than i would have shot anyways and I started grunting. I saw him come up. He started just uh, scraping the trees, just thrashing it, just going crazy. But he would not come any closer. But I had plenty enough time to sit there and count. And I knew for a fact it was a monster buck. I'd never saw him again, but 
I kind of felt that it was probably the the son of the one that was taken a few years before that. That's awesome. Yeah, I remember what Buck were talking about. Um, they did a big article on it. Huge, huge points, Fred. It was something ridiculous. I, I want to say, I think it was like 202, uh, non-typical, but it was a monster, monster buck. So that was the offspring, and, and they still have the, blood li- the bloodline out there. Go, go kill them, bud. <laughs> yeah, well, wish me luck. I haven't seen them since, but I haven't been there in two years, so who knows? Might get lucky. There you go. Well, yeah, so talk a little bit about the guests we have on today. We have a little bit different topic today. We're going to talk a little bit about game processing. Like you said, we're doing the game processing. And well, the guy we have on, his name is Terry Frazier. And he's a good old boy in the South. Uh, He's in South Carolina, in fact. He has a good understanding of what it takes to, one, process your own meat, some do's and don'ts. And then as well as what to kind of expect when if you decide to take your deer to a processor. If anybody's been hunting already, that uh, if you have some meat in the fridge, good for you. But for the ones that haven't yet and they want to know what they're going to do, if they're going to take it to a processor, maybe they have the idea that they're going to want to try to do it themselves. It's an interesting story. Welcome to our show. How are you doing, Terry? I'm doing fine. How are y'all? I think we're doing pretty good. So, Terry, you know, tell us a little bit about yourself. You know, what's your background? How'd you get into the actual game processing industry? Long story. Back in high school, me and a couple buddies of mine decided we was going to be some heathens. And so we got drunk at school. One of the buddies of mine puked in the hallway. He told on all of us that was drinking. I got expelled for 10 days. Daddy told me, he said, you're going to be hard-headed. You're going to go to work. I went to work. The local processor needed a butcher boy. That was somebody just to skin the deer. That's all they wanted. I started skinning deer there. We was averaging about 25 a night. Wow. And uh, after I stuck with it a little while, the owner, he come to me, Mr. Lawson. He said, uh, would you mind learning how to debone deer? I said, no, sir. It would be my pleasure to get in here and work beside you. You teach me the correct way to do it. I always grew up the country boy way. We take it. Kill it, clean it, let it age for a few days in the refrigerator. When we take it out of the refrigerator, we'd cut it up the best that we knew how to cut it up. It wasn't the correct way of doing it. And he got in there, and slowly, over the course of that deer season, he showed me how to do it. Well, the next year, January 1, I said, well, I'll be seeing you. He said, oh, if you want your job back, he said, be here August 15th when deer season rolls around. He said, if you want it. I said, yes, sir, I'll be here. August 15th rolled around. I was there waiting, and it just went from one thing to another. And then he got to the age that he couldn't keep up with it no more the way he should. And his grandchildren and other people, they just they didn't care nothing about it. They had greater things on their mind and bigger businesses and stuff like that. And he closed the doors. So after a few odd and end jobs here, there, and yonder, I ended up working for Richers. I worked with them for about a deer season. Deer season here runs August 15th, January 1. The following season, Breland's opened up. New business day at the older fella that owns it. He had cut me to the grocery store, so he had some idea of what had to happen. And I've been working with them off and on since about 2006 or 2007. So quite a few years. That's pretty good. Yes, sir. Uh, you guys are seeing 25 deer a night, and I'm sure, you know, fluctuates, you know, less than that, more than that. But a- as a hunter, what's something that we can do? Because it's not just on the guys that are processing they made to make sure it tastes good. Uh, I'm sure there's things that hunters can do before they get there that helps with that. What's some stuff that a hunter, after he harvests the game, what's the best process for him to prepare and, and keep that meat clean and in the best in the best shape for you to do your job? Shot placement's a big part of it. 
bloodshot meat, gutshot deer, that'd make the whole deer taste just nasty. On top of that, a lot of people say you can field dress them. Yeah, it helps to field dress them if you have to pack that deer a couple hours one way or the other. Mm-hmm. If you don't, when you take your animal, if you can load him up right then and carry him from there straight to the processor to where they can go ahead and get the hide off of him, get his insides out, his intestines, his guts, and everything, that's less time for that temperature to stay at that animal without blood flow dysregulating everything. You're saying that, let's just go into like a for instance, uh, we happened to get two or three deer at a time. Actually, let's just say we had two deer together and we would field dress them out. It would take almost 30 minutes to get one deer to the truck. We had to go back, field dress the other one, take the other deer. So now we're already two hours in. And usually when we're hunting, if one ends up hitting or getting a deer, we usually just wait, let the other person have some more time to hunt. So the deer is probably laying there for a good hour or two before we even field dress. Once it's field dressed, again, it takes about another hour or so to get them into the truck. Um, usually we're well over an hour away before we get to where we live, where there's a processor nearby. That amount of time between the time we shot, the time we field dressed, and then the time we brought it to the processor, usually it's the next day before they get to it. That creates a totally different type of uh, taste, uh, being more gamey or bad if it's a bad shot. Is there really that much of a difference? In my opinion, yes. Okay. Then the reason I say this, it's with anything, and it's gonna give, I'm going to give you something to think about him. The animal that's been hit by a car, he lays out there in the sun for a day. He's going to swole up three times his size. It's just the gases and everything in that deer's body is breaking down all his muscle tissue and stuff and the de- decomposing cycle. There's no way that you can stop it. Okay. It's, it's natural. So in my opinion, if it's going to take that long, yes, you got another man there hunting, but if you're not going to affect him, Get down, go ahead and field dress that deer. Go ahead and start packing that deer out to the truck. When you get him to the truck, we took ice bags, just 10-pound bags of ice, and put in the chest cavity of the deer and tried to fold him back up to go ahead and drop the meat temperature. Oh. Because the longer it stays at that operate his body temperature, then you're going to put it in the back of a truck. Typically, the back of your truck is going to be warmer because of the sun beating on it and there's nowhere for it to be shaded. So the timing is very important. It, it is. Uh, bloodshot meat. Uh, we've had them come in. They've been shot back with big rifles and stuff back through the ribs. It'll blow the the bloodshot and blood clots and all the front shoulders won't be no good on them, and it blows it all up into the neck. I've seen it blow it all back into the hands. The best thing to do there is take a knife. While you got him hanging up, skimp, just try to split the meat as good as you can. Take the water hose and stick it in there and just try to wash as much of it out as possible. That, that'll send the gamey taste of that animal through the roof. I think you were saying something earlier about the, the gut pile. If it, uh, if it happened to rupture, you shot it a gut shot, which obviously most people don't ever want to have that happen, but it does seem to happen. Um, timing is everything. So if you happen to be field dressing and you open up and boom, you realize that you did do a, a gut shot and it's busted up on the inside, you know, what are some of the things that can be done to help preserve the meat? Because I've been told that you know, if the gut shot has gotten into the meat, that meat is like it's not, uh, it's not good anymore. Is that correct? That's correct. The best thing to do, in my opinion, is cut out all the meat that has been contaminated by the gut. So that'd be like before bringing it to the processor. Before, if you still dress that deer and you find that you have made a bad shot and it's gut shot, go ahead and take your time, take the knife and cut out 
all the contaminated meat on the inside of the chest cavity, the outside the chest cavity, wherever it may be. Go ahead and trim it to the best of your ability. As soon as you can get the water, wash it thoroughly, inside and out, the best that you can do it with the hide still on it. In my opinion, if something like that were to happen, I'd have a cooler there where as soon as I found out that a shot like that would happen, I'd cut all out and I could cut out everything that's been contaminated. I'd do my best to get as much out in the field as possible. I'd blice, cut it up in pieces, put it in that cooler, get it somewhere to where I could wash it, make sure I cleaned as much of it off as possible and soak it in some icy water for two or three days, draining your water every day, adding fresh ice every day. It's mm, good to know. And it, so, it, it helps it tremendously, really and truthfully. I've seen a lot of people go to putting the deer after they kill it, clean it, putting it in a cooler full of ice water, draining their water every day, keeping fresh ice on it. And it pulls a lot of the blood and a lot of the gaminess out of the meat. Well, so what's another way you can get rid of some of that gaminess? Because that's probably one of the things that you hear the most when you're talking to people who, who haven't or who don't eat, eat venison is, oh, it's too gamey, you know, and you get a lot of guys that say, you know, it's not gamey at all. What are some tricks to pull some of that gaminess out? Obviously, clean uh, clean meat from a good shot, you're you're much better off with. But is soaking in milk is one thing some guys told me. Soaking in some kind of vinegar is another. Is there anything specifically you've seen that really pulls that gaminess out? Any kind of acidity, orange juice, buttermilk is a natural meat tenderizer. It pulls it out. Um, beef soaked it in pineapple juice, any kind of marinade or anything that you can buy over the shelf will help it if you like marinated meat. Some people don't. We use a lot of our steaks and stuff. We don't get them cubed. We get regular steaks like butterfly loins. My wife will take them and put them in a bowl with some water, probably a tablespoon of salt and maybe a third of a cup of some kind of vinegar and drain it. Like if we go cook it tonight, she'll put it in there the day before, drain it in the morning before she leaves for work. And then when she gets home, she'll drain it again and just put clean water in it to let it sit to whoever's going to prepare the meal. And then they'll drain it and wash it and then fix it to eat. Hmm. That's very interesting. Now, there's definitely a thought that people do shoot with a rifle and there's the you know, shotguns and then there's the bows and we're all about the bow. And it seems how you do see a lot of game coming in, in various ways. Have you seen a physical difference in the meat when you're processing it? When it comes in, if it was a uh, a rifle shot or if it was a muzzleloader or if it was a bow itself. Like I've heard that, you know, the bow, you have a better chance of not getting that deer to have this adrenaline rush that will now throw blood directly into the meat, which might make it thicker and harder. But is that true or is that? No, it's true in my opinion. Here in South Carolina, around where I live, they get to dog hunt. They get to run the deer with dogs, shoot them with a shotgun or buckshot when they cross the road. In my opinion, I won't eat them. Nothing against those fellows that do it. I enjoy going and listening to the dogs run one just as much as anybody else that dog hunt. I've had deer dogs. I've done it. But in my opinion, it makes the meat have a lot more gamey taste. It's a lot tougher meat. Um, we call it rigor mortis, but like during the summertime or up until this part, really and truthfully, I've seen it happen in November. You can run a deer for an hour and a half, shoot it with the shotgun, and by the time you get off the back of your truck and get to that deer, put it on your tailgate, leave from where you at, and go to the clubhouse, that deer is stiff. That's from adrenaline. That's because the muscle mass on that deer has been exercised to the extent that it 
is like elastic, oh. and this automatic thing is going to contract. Just like a rubber band, when you shoot it and let it go, it's going to contract back to its regular size. See, I, I never thought when uh, Scott and I would rifle hunt years ago, and uh, we get a doe or something by time. But I remember that where sometimes it was just really stiff. You couldn't move the head or anything. That's very interesting. There's a lot more bloodshot meat with a rifle and with a shotgun than there is with a bow. I shoot a rifle, I shoot a bow. I, I, I'm big fans of both. I'd much rather shoot my bow than shoot a rifle. That's just my preference, you know. But in my years of rifle hunting, Daddy, he was a gunsmith. He built several rifles and all. We had the latest and the greatest. I mean, that was just his his thing, you know. Um, he had the 4570, and it reminds me a lot of, of like, shooting with a bullet. I don't know if it's because the bullet's moving so fast in it or what, but when you shoot him with a bow, you can eat it all the way up to the entry hole of the arrow. It's like bloodshot. I, yeah, there is some blood that is there, but it's not bloodshot to the extent that it can't be washed out. Yeah. <laughs> Is there any, um, when it comes down to, let's say someone's bringing a deer in, there's obviously a lot of different options. I've, in the last few years, have just, because of the processor places I have gone to, I've chosen just to get basically ground. And the only reason why is because I've had in the past where once it was processed and they brought back the meat, if it was um, a steak or whatever it might be, the wrapping, the way they did it, it never really lasted that long. I ended up having to, it felt like I ended up either giving it away because it was going to go bad or end up throwing it away because it did go bad. But it always seemed like when I did the ground, they used a different type of wrap to secure to make sure it lasts longer. And so I've, that right now is what I've been currently doing. Is there things that specifically sh we should say to the processors that we want or don't want to make sure that we do get a uh, the meat back more efficient, that it will last longer? Um, Breland's here in town that I work for, they double wrap their meat. They don't wrap oh. it in like the cellophane shrink wrap that all your grocery stores use, and then they'll put a vacuum seal over the top of it and suck all the air out of it. See, I've never had one do a vacuum seal. I've always had it where it was almost like you went to the grocery store and they stuck it in the styrofoam bottom and then they use shrink wrap right above it. And that's all I've ever had. And, um, so I've, because of that, I've always seemed to just steer towards the ground because I knew that at least that was done effectively. The vacuum sealing, I will also say, it is the latest and the greatest. Um, I've killed deer at the first part of August, around the 15th, 16th, somewhere in there, and they date it with the date, or the month and the date, like 2009, 2014. I've pulled meat out, and we've killed several throughout the year to have enough to last us because that's all, strictly all we eat is venison. We don't buy no red meat at oh, all. Very cool. And um, I've put others on top of it and, and stacked it, and some of it's got pushed to the bottom of the freezer and stuff, and we pulled it out the following year in August, and it's still been just as good as it was that day as the day that we put it in the freezer. Um, I'm 100%. If you don't vacuum pack it, you don't get my business. It, it, the meat lasts a lot longer. The meat stays a lot fresher. And personally, in my opinion, I think the vacuum packing has something to do with the, the way it compresses the meat or something or another. I don't know it sucks the what air it out. does, you know, but it seems like it does something extra to the meat to help it be tender or something, in my opinion. Really? So it's almost like it's, it's tenderizing it, compacting it down to that point of um, of squeezing the liquid and the air out. So you're basically tenderizing the entire time that it's, that it's compacted. And in my opinion, yes, sir, that's correct. Huh. 
Would that be something, let's say, if someone does go to a processor and they find out that they, should we ask, do you vacuum pack the meat? Or if they don't, would it be almost like an insult to, hey, would you mind doing that? Can you do that? But is that something where if we came to someone that's a processor, usually would that be uh, an okay thing to ask? Hey, are you able to vacuum pack this? In my opinion, I look at it like this. Say you're a mechanic. You come to me and say, hey, man, your starter's going out on you your truck um it's gonna cost me a hundred dollars to get it fixed okay and you go there to take the starter off of my truck needless to say you're supposed to crawl under my truck to take the starter off i look you underneath the hood pulling my alternator off i mean it's your money in my opinion they should be able to tell you yes we're gonna vacuum pack yes this is your dear you getting back a hundred percent i mean i'm all about saving money but at the same time i want to know that it's going to last and it's done right that's the biggest thing yeah if you're taking the time to, to kill an animal you at least should try to find the right way to preserve it exactly that's really hard-earned cool. money that a lot of people waste by not taking the time to ask simple questions do you vacuum pack is this my dear and my dear only a lot of processors when you carry them in and they do it everywhere it's not just Georgia or South Carolina, it's everywhere. They'll come in, you say you want strictly ground meat. Well, when they debone your deer, that's cut everything off the bone, you'll have 50 pounds of meat. Well, they'll take that 50 pounds of meat and put it in a meat lug, set it over to the corner, write your name down in a notebook with 50 pounds beside it. The next man come in, he only wanted 10 pounds of ground. And so on and so on. Well, back at the end of that day, when they're processing, they liable to have 150 pounds of ground meat. Well, you automatically know this man gets 50, this man gets gets 10, this man gets so much, this man gets so much. They put all that deer meat in one thing, add the fat content that it needs to keep it from drying out and burning, and grind it all together instead of taking the time and doing it deer by deer by deer. Oh, wow. That so, I had no idea. That is interesting. So if you spent time, you went out and shot a, a really solid corn-fed deer, and the guy down the street went and shot a swamp buck, you're now getting partial swamp buck, partial corn-fed. Exactly right. Uh, that's awesome. <laughs> wow. Not yeah. only that, I mean, the man down the street could have gunshot his, and you know yours wasn't. I've got deer meat back myself, and I've worked at several different processes, and I'm not against anybody that shoots a shotgun, that dog hunts, but I've got deer back ground meat, and it had buckshot in it. And I know good and well the deer I killed did not have buckshot in it. So I guess, in a sense, last year I happened to get a, a decent size eight, and uh, ironically, though, when I shot the deer, the broadhead broke off and I started just cutting up the insides of the gut, which was horrible. But the arrow passed through, just happened to be the broadhead was stuck inside. And uh, by the time I cleared it out, I mean, it really, it ranked. I mean, it was stinky. It really it was awful. I tried to clean it out as best I could. I took it to the processor. Um, I washed it out as much as I could. I was like, this is going to be awful. Yet every piece of meat or the ground when I've taken out, I have uh, made my jerky. I've yet to have anything that's actually tasted what I felt would have been a bad flavor. So I'm assuming someone else ended up got my meat and I ended up probably getting someone else's meat. Not necessarily. I'm not saying that all processors do this. Okay. It's just a possibility. It's just a possibility. And I do know that here in South Carolina, in my town, I think there's five or six and I think Four out of the five or six do do that. There's only a handful of them that actually do individual deer on the same hand. If the guy that was doing your deer at the processor knew what he was doing, I understand it smelled bad and all that. Once that deer's temperature cooled off, his body temperature, and it firmed up what we call in the meat firmed up, it's hard to debone a deer that you just shot, 
skimp, and now you're going to debone it all within two hours. The meat is so flimsy, it's not firmed up or stiffened up or anything like that. You let that deer hang, let temperature come down. He could go in there and take a knife and cut every bit real carefully, trim every bit of the gut shot, because most of the time, your deer, the in between the muscle membrane of the meat and the skin, it creates uh, a jelly-style membrane. You can wash it with a water hose and see it. It's like it'll swell up with, like, jelly. Yeah, I've seen that. Clear jelly. You could take a knife and slice that, and it'll pull every bit that gut smell off that meat. That's just a protector with any muscle tissue. I, I assume got it. I know deer's got it. I know hogs has got it. I know cows has got it. It's just a, a protector film. I reckon it protects their uh, their muscle mass or their their meat or whatever you want to call it. So when when someone's in the field, do you recommend them to skin their skin it own and bring it in? If there's someone who's just going to keep their main thing, if they want to keep a hide or they're doing some kind of tanning, do you recommend that they they skin that and then bring it to you, or bring it to you guys and have you guys skin the, skin the hide? Depends on what kind of animal or what kind of hide they want, or what kind of tanning they want. Certain style tannings and mounts have to be skimped certain ways. We mm-hmm. mounted um, about three years ago. I actually, it was my first time ever doing a full deer. Um, We'd done a calico buck. He was white and brown. Good-looking deer. It was a, a kind of a big deer to be a calico deer because most of them, if you read up on them, they're small. They carry a lot of diseases, this, that, and the other. But um, we had to split that one down the middle of his back and then fold a hide off of him where a lot of times you would start at his feet. And it was very, very time-consuming. You couldn't split anything under the belly or anything like that. You went from his tail all the way to the back of his head, and we folded all, peeled all the hide off of him like a banana all the way down his legs and everything, wrung him at his feet. It was it was unreal at the tediousness and, and tight quarters that you had to work in to get that hide the way you needed it. Really? And why was that? Why couldn't you cut from underneath? Because when they stitched him, when they pulled the hide back together on the mole, they said that if we had cut it through the inside of the legs like we were normal, you'd have been able to see every stitch that they put in it. They wouldn't have been able to, to blend it. When they end up their back like that, their hide's so thick that they, when they pull the stitches, the hide will pull together. Mm-hmm. It's so thin on the inner part of their legs, it would have ended up ripping the hide. Wow. Now, would that be also in a sense, let's say you dig it at like this monstrous buck and you're going to basically mount the whole thing. Would you not want to field dress it then? No, sir. Okay. Good to know. You, you planning on getting a, getting a trophy buck this year? I, I, I hope so. <laughs> that's the end. That's always the goal. Well, first goal is to get stuff in the freezer. That's the main goal. But then if there is a quality buck that comes out, why not? That's absolutely it. I got, I got the harvest of trophy this year. We call him Swamp Donkey. He's a mainframe 10, perfectly symmetrical all the way around. I mean, you couldn't ask for a prettier buck. He wasn't real wide. His horns was real heavy. Oh, wow. Yeah. We estimated him being five years old. I don't know what he'll score. I'm guessing probably 130, maybe. Have you gotten him back? He's about, no. He's about 15 and a half, 15 and three quarters wide, inside to inside, but he was about 16 inches tall all the way around. It's as pretty a buck as you'd want to see. That's awesome. But you guys are aging him about five years old? We guessed him at about five years. Um, the back two teeth on his bottom jaw, the last two is was wore completely down to the jawbone. Wow, that's awesome though. So, had you seen that buck the last couple of years, or is it something that just kind of popped up on your radar this year? Um, it's kind of funny. We've been talking about leasing a piece of property behind my grandparents' house, 
for probably four or five years. And um, my uncle, he's just a retired cop. He just retired this year, the first of this year. And he said, man, let's get that property to hunt. I said, boy, I've been trying to find out who owns it for the last four or five years to see if, you know, it's available for lease or whatever. And uh, he said, I'll find out. Somehow he got in touch with the owner, and him and the owner's son actually went to school together. And we ended up getting the property. And another friend of mine hunted the adjacent property that butted up to it. And um, we ended up getting it. And we just started feeding the deer some corn and stuff, putting cameras out, scouting, just to see what was kind of on the property. We had, he killed a nice eight on it this year. There was an old buck. We got one buck on that. I'm calling him a drop-time buck, but he's got 13 points that you can count. Oh, with my gosh. two drop-times, one on each bean. So I don't know uh, if there's points that's hidden, sticker points, whatever, however you want to call them, mm-hmm. that you can't see in the camera behind his head or whatever from the pictures you have that we have of him. And um, But these bucks has really started to show up here in the last couple, three to four weeks, I'd say. It's a big swamp. And it comes up on a, a high hill. And when I say high, it's probably 35 or 40 foot difference from the bottom part of the swamp to the main road on the outside. I mean, it gradually just drops off into a swamp. And as long as I can remember and listening to all the older fellows and stuff that live around my area that's grown up here and their parents and stuff like that, that little piece of swamp is probably three-quarters of a mile to a mile wide, uh, probably a mile and a half deep, but it's, there's roads on all four sides of it. The swamp continues on right on after it crosses each road and stuff like that, but that little section that we got, but they say it's the home of some of the biggest bucks that's been around this part of the country. That's really. impressive. That's awesome. Congrats on that one. Yeah, good Good luck coming up in the season, man. It's unreal. I mean, the deer that we've seen, the caliber deer, is just unreal you normally don't see deer of that size around the area that i live in because a lot of the farmland isn't here they've made housing developments and stuff like that on it you know Mm -hmm. within here in georgia uh, mentality here where it comes like if it's brown it's down so it's hard to see or find deer that's over five years or even four years i mean i think that what scott when we were going hunting heavily years ago it was the oldest deer we maybe saw was maybe a year two at most yeah two maybe two and a half yeah Um, but i mean it's a lot of a lot of the area where we're at is is residential. So you get into that that big trophy every once in a while. Um, there's one that I had I'd seen for about six years that I could remember from when I first started seeing them. Actually, back down my parents' house, um, and a couple of years ago I went back to my parents' house, was walking the property, and actually found that the buck had had died. I don't know if, if coyotes got it or what. But so I found it, and it's just this this beautiful rack. You can tell he's on the back the back end. Um, he's going downhill, but just a super old rack. His he had basically no teeth from about half his jaw back. Um, aged him out, and and we're thinking he was somewhere in that maybe that seven and a half eight year old range. Just super old bucks, and there's a lot of those around here. Just it's so residential. They are. 90% nocturnal other than that 10% when they get stupid and, and start chasing tail. That happens a lot of places. Daddy said that to kill you every time chasing that tail. <laughs> <laughs> well, how's the... It'll make a grown man go crazy, I can promise you. 
<laughs> well, well, how's the season up there? Where Where are you guys at with uh, with the rut? Are you guys in seeking phase, or what's really going on up there right now? Well, the weather has been on really warm this year. We had a couple cool snaps. When I say cool snaps, it get down in the 50s at night and spike back up about 80 during the day. Last weekend, it got cold at, during the time change. Um, matter of fact, me and a buddy of mine on Sunday morning, it was 34 degrees. But right now, I'd say we're probably about to peak, if not start to drop off some. In my opinion, if it get cold and stay cold, for a couple of weeks, you'd really see a big increase in the rut as far as the buck activity and stuff like that. And, of course, the moon's got it so messed up right now. Even though it's cold here, it was like 41 this morning, mm-hmm. 40, 41 this morning. It's cooler here, but uh, the moon's got them messed up. And then the time change and, and all that's playing a part in everything, too, so... Just have to. This has been one season full of adventures. I can honestly say that. <laughs> it's it's been a little bit, but for me, I just I moved back out here from Colorado recently, so it's uh, it's been nice to get out here where you can hunt any part of the state, anytime you want, basically, and you you have a chance to. You don't have to wait for that one that one trophy buck that you were looking to go after. You can kind of you know you can shoot a doe here and there, and you can shoot a shoot a smaller buck if you're trying to get some genetics off a of property. Whereas, you know, out West you're, you're one and done. You better, you better make sure you love what you're pulling the trigger on. Cause that's it for you. And I think that is in, in a place that big, if the deer was becoming extinct or there was a big decrease in the population, I can understand it. Mm-hmm. But you know, like here it's open August the 15th, January the 1st. Now they have cut us back on some of our doe days here in South Carolina, and they have cut us back on our antlers deer per day. We used to could kill two, now we can't kill but one. Oh, wow. But, um, and it was as many as you wanted to kill, as many bucks as you wanted to kill from August the 15th and January the 1st. Back when I was in high school and didn't have no bills, didn't have a family, me and my little brother, we'd average 30 apiece during deer season. Every <laughs> season. Holy crap, that's awesome. That's I insane. mean, we fed the church. I don't know how many times we've done a food bank for the church. And we had a processor here that would process them and donate it to the church. And the church would give it to needy families and stuff that wanted the meat to have it to eat because they couldn't afford stuff. And I don't know how many deer that we didn't call the church and say, hey, we carry one of the processor. When it gets ready, we'll pick it up and bring it and put it in the freezer. If y'all find somebody that wants it before then, call us and let us know. We'll carry it and deliver it to them where they can have it, you know? That's Because awesome. we just didn't have the room to put it. Doing, doing a good deed, though. Well, falling back into the, the, the processing, because knowing the knowledge that you do know, let's say someone that's wanting to possibly start doing it on their own. You know, they've always taken it to the processor They've always you know, gotten things done, chosen what they wanted to have and gotten it back, but they want to take the extra step and actually try it the first time. But they know they need to have certain things to get up and running. With what you know, are there key things that a hunter needs to have set up or is this something that they need to buy afterwards if it is last minute? I mean, is there preparation that needs to go involved? Uh, in my opinion, yeah. Okay. I'd say he needs a, a refrigerator or some kind of cooler the chill the meat to where the meat can age. And what I mean by aging, a lot of processors, like I said before, let them hang 5, 10, 14 days. In my opinion, 14 to 18 days 
I want that meat to turn purple like a T-bone steak that's been sitting on the shelf aging to where it can get tender. The muscle mass and stuff starts to break down in the meat when it gets to that stage. It becomes more tender. It becomes less gamier, in my opinion. It's had time for the blood that's in it to drain out. A grinder, if he wants ground meat. Keep in mind, he don't have to go buy the $1,000 commercial set like the processors use. He can run down to his local store and pick up one of them $120 grinders. It'll work just as good. It won't do it as fast as the commercial grinder, but it'll do just as good a job. Cube meat, if he wants a cuber, there's, there's several different options on that. They make one that's a hand crank style cuber now that clamps onto a table. It works awesome, too. Hmm. We have used one of them several times. Personally, it, to me, it works just as good as the electric cuber that is $4,000 that the processors use. Um, that and a table or something of some sort that he can put the meat on or the deer on to debone it, cut it off the bone and all that stuff, the way you have somewhere to work, pretty much. It should be, if I'm not mistaken, hung up, right? I mean, you shouldn't be cutting through all this stuff laying down on the table. Cause at least when I've seen processors at the time when I brought a deer in, they've seemed to always have it hanging by their hind legs when they're pulling everything apart. Is that about right, or is that uh, is there other ways of doing it? That's correct on the skinning aspect of it. Oh, and the skinning, okay. Also, they're hanging them in these coolers by their hind legs where all the blood can drain forward. If you don't have that kind of space and stuff like that, a freezer, quarter it. Cut your hands off. Once you cut your hands off, split them down the middle. You have two hands. Cut your shanks off. Take that ham and lay it on that rack on that refrigerator. Put you a pan or something in the bottom of the refrigerator to where the meat can drip into that pan and it don't get blood all throughout your refrigerator. Um, Go ahead and take the time and cut your loins out um, while it's hanging. Bust your front shoulders off. Then... You can take the saw and split it down. you got two rib pieces. 90% of your deer ribs, you can't eat them. There ain't enough meat on them to eat. There's what we call a flank on the outside of them. You take a knife and run it right down in between that thick piece of flank meat, and it'll peel right off the side of them ribs. It'll be a sheet that a whole length of the ribs. That's good ground meat. Slice it up, chunk it up, where you can throw it in the grinder. Put it in a pan or, or something where it can drain. Is there any type of knives that you prefer to use when it comes to processing? I have a couple that I prefer. Um, I got a good fillet knife that I use to cut my loins, cut my steaks, and debone that hold an extremely sharp edge. That's the key, a sharp edge. A dull knife will hurt you, but a sharp one will hurt you worse. And it's got to keep a sharp edge because you're going to constantly bumping it against bone and stuff trying to debone your meat. Brush it back up. Don't let it get to the extent that you got to put it down and pick up another one. Have a steel or, or some kind of sharpening ceramic or something that you can brush the edge back up on it. Hit it four or five licks on the ceramic and go right back to deboning your meat. I also take that fillet knife after I've let it age it to get a, a thick marble or a, a hard shell on the outside of it. You can take that fillet knife and turn that hard shell against the table, cut through your meat, take your, you know, index finger and your middle finger and hold it against the, the meat that you, where you just sliced it and it'll peel off just like filleting a fish. And um, then I'll take and slice my steaks or whatever I want out of that piece of meat 
it'll go in one pan, my ground meat or, or whatever else I'm making it go in another pan. Well, like now with the ground meat and all, how do you go about adding fat in it? Like, where do you buy that stuff? A lot of your supermarkets will sell it. Really? You have to ask for it. Okay, you go to the butcher inside the supermarket? Yep. And tell them you want pork fat, beef fat, whatever you prefer. A lot of people are going to put in bacon, not only bacon, Boston butt in their ground meat. So like cook the bacon and then just pour the grease from that or actually take the the bacon itself and just mix it in with it? Take the bacon itself and grind it with the meat. Oh. Make bacon burgers, whatever. And it's actually pretty good. Um, Like our percentage is, say you want 10% fat. So for every pound of meat, you want a tenth of a pound of fat. That way at 5 pounds or 10 pounds of meat, you got roughly about a pound of fat, give or take. And that will give you enough fat that it don't dry out to the extent that it gets burnt or you ain't got to cook it for two hours and then it draws up and it's so tight because it's compressed so much and all the water and stuff's cooked out the meat that it's like eating a piece of leather. That's pretty fascinating. So is there different percentages depending on what kind of fat you have in there, whether it's beef fat or pork fat? I don't think there is. We strictly use only pork fat to do our ground with. Unless somebody says they want it lean, if they want it lean, we don't put no fat in it. We use what's in the animal. You got to be careful with it like that. Like I say, it'll cook up and draw up. You take a burger and cut it out big as your hand. By the time you get done cooking it, it ain't two inches in diameter, but it's four inches thick. You understand what I'm saying? <laughs> as far as that goes. Oh, yeah. So we've we bought the equipment. We've set up the table. We've got the cooler. And we're starting to process the meat. We got the fat. We've deboned, we've taken the hide off. How, being that the, you have the processor, you, there's obviously a process to handle the carcass and everything, but for someone that doesn't have that, how do you dispose of the carcass? Around here, the landfill takes them. Oh. You can't, you can't carry it to your normal waste site. You have to carry it to the main facility, the, the big landfill, and um, they dispose of it. If not, a lot of places, if you check with them, Sometimes you can put them in trash bags and put them in the compactor at their, their regular dump site or your regular disposal site, but it can't be loose. Um, other places, they dig holes and bury them. Whatever, you just have to check the, the laws in your town or, or wherever you're from to make sure that you're abiding by them as far as I know. I don't think that there is a clause or, say, trouble you can get into. I don't know. It's just more but, being humane, I guess. Exactly. Yeah. But I think that right there would be something that should be a, a prep before uh, attempting to, to harvest and then process your own meat. Just because you never know. I mean, I, right now I live in an apartment. If I actually wanted to process my own meat, I'd have to go to a friend's house and go through the whole process. But my thought in the back of my head is like, well, I guess maybe I'll just put it in the apartment's dumpster. But that would probably raise up some hair, red flags, seeing these uh, have, like awful smell, dead live carcass, and then blood and everything around. I don't think that would have been too well with uh, the people that own the apartment. Well, no, I don't think that went over too well either. No. So when we were talking earlier, you were saying something that you, um, you recently started something, is that correct? Me and a buddy of mine, actually, uh, he's currently, he used to live in Georgia. He recently moved to Texas. He started a a hunting adventure. We kind of trying to play it by ear. I can't right now just for say up and quit my current job to to start it. We slowly building it up pace by pace. But it's hunting with Marshall.com. 
He's uh, a great Christian guy. I, I truly thank a lot of him. He's given me some information on hunting some bigger deer that was nocturnal, some tricks and stuff that he's tried over the years, and he he put me on one of them this year. That I would uh, I would love to kill him last year. He was already on his descending side. So I'm proud of him for doing it, though. He's got a phone number, too, if anybody wants to get in touch with him. is 210-740-6411. That's great. We'll we'll definitely add that to the the website as well. Exactly. What is uh what is his company? What does he do? If he can come to you, say, and on his webpage, he'll tell you straight up. If you want a a blind that you can kick a lazy boy up in, you got the wrong guy. He's gonna put you as close to a wild game as possible. No fence, high fence, low fence. He'll come to you and deal with any of those matters, but he's going to put you as close to wild game as he can possibly put you. And he'll come to you, he'll scout the area, he'll prep it, he'll get you pictures, he'll hang stands, he'll tell you what you got as far as deer goes. He's got scents that he uses, he's got certain minerals that he uses to target different species at different times. Uh, He does it all from start to finish pretty much um, as far as a guiding service or something like that goes. But he is willing to travel to you, to your property, to see if you need some deer management, what your herd looks like or whatever. As far as you calling him and saying, hey, man, I want to come out and hunt. Let's set it for this date if you ain't got nothing booked. You and him discuss the price and you go to Texas and you're able to hunt. He can put you on the deer really and truthfully in some world-class book. That's very interesting. So he basically does a lot of the prep work beforehand and has a good jack-of-all-trades to make sure that, at least when you go out there, you have a higher chance of getting something. Exactly. Which any of us know, they ain't no hunt guaranteed. True. You know, that's why they call it hunting. But <laughs> yeah. I can pretty much say every time that I've talked with him that he's carried people other than one time, and that's because somebody had come in closer than what they were supposed to on the set that he was sitting, um, he's had deer on people less than 20 yards. Wow. What's, and what's his website? Hunting with Marshall. That's M-A-R-S-H-A-L-L dot com. That's awesome. Well, Scott, do you have uh, any other things that you might want to know about processing? You know, I, I'm sure there's a ton more. Um, it'd be a great thing to kind of get some hands on with. Uh, I know hopefully, hopefully I'm, I'm going hunting in the morning, so hopefully I'll have something to, to get some hands on with tomorrow afternoon. But, uh, yeah, we appreciate you having on. A ton, ton of knowledge, ton of experience. Got some good stories. We appreciate everything. That ain't no problem, fellas. I was glad I could be a part of y'all's podcast. And if y'all need me in the future, y'all know how to get in touch with me. Anytime, anything, as far as this goes. There's a lot more that we can touch bases on later on once people start getting hands-on with it as far as the trimming and what they need to look for and what they don't need to look for. And we can touch that at a, a later time. Oh, great. Definitely, we can uh, we can dive a little bit deeper in as people start to start to learn how to do this and have more questions. We bring you on and, and get those answered and kind of get a little bit more specific with how to do it. That's correct. Now, if someone wants to reach out to you or follow you, what would be the good way for them to do that? They can email me at terryfraser84 at gmail.com. That's T-E-R-R-Y-F-R-A-S-E-R 84 at gmail dot com very cool awesome well again man yeah we really appreciate you taking some time out of your day and coming on and talking you got a lot of passion for it and i mean it sure sounds like you know what you're doing it ain't been easy i mean a few years ago when i first started i uh i thought i was gonna be quick you know old man told me he said son that nice short watch it and i cut 
my index finger. I like to cut it off on my left hand completely. Oh my gosh. I cut it through the, the main knuckle, the middle knuckle right there, and it comes through, and it was hanging by a piece of skin under the inside. It went through that knuckle joint like you wouldn't believe. So the gloves, the metal gloves that y'all see the butchers and stuff like that wearing in the stores, they're definitely for a reason. No they keep shit. you from cutting your fingers. Check into them if you're going to be using some sharp knives. Well, Terry, I really appreciate it. Um, we would definitely love to have you back on a future date. I'm pretty sure we'll have some questions when it goes further down into the, the season, but uh, thanks again for coming on. That ain't no problem, fellas. I hope y'all have a, a good time with it. Enjoy it. There's anything else. Like I said, y'all need me to touch bases on later or whatever. Feel free to contact me. Either way, I'm glad. I hope both of y'all's season is very fruitful this year and y'all get the, the swack, the biggin' y'all been after. <laughs> Thank you. You too. I enjoyed it. Thank y'all so much. Thank you. Yeah, when he got into the, the, the specifics on what he does and how they do this stuff, that was actually quite fascinating plus i had no idea about the the, the processing when they do the ground that they just you know oh, some yeah. dump it all oh. in one big pile and then just start scuffling it through that that's... oh yeah most most places around here do that dude never knew that never oh, knew yeah. it but i understand it it's economically probably more feasible for them to do that time consuming it it's a lot easier they can just pump them out a lot faster so i i understand it i just had no idea that's what they did oh so make sure you know if you if you heard something you really liked today, you want to learn a little bit more about it, check out the show notes at mybowrush.com forward slash 006. And make sure to check us out on iTunes as well at mybowrush.com forward slash iTunes. It'll take you right to the page. You can choose and view all the other podcasts that we've done, as well as be able to have the opportunity to leave us a comment and rate us and see how we're doing. But for now, you know, I'm Scott Nelson. I'm Travis Stowe. Go get a bow rush, and if you're a country boy, go snatch the skin off something. <laughs> <laughs>